0: Hi, guys. Welcome back to my So-Called Midlife Podcast. I am Jennifer, and this is Episode 67. Update. So, I have an interview update for you. I told you guys that I had an interview scheduled and that um, it for the job, um, it wasn't in Florida. So, I had the interview. It was a phone interview. It was the fastest interview I have ever had. It was nine minutes. <laughs> like from when we got on the phone to when we said goodbye, it was nine minutes. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I have had some bad interviews and this wasn't a bad interview, but it was like, I i didn't even know how it went. It was like, I, I think that went okay. So he had like a list of questions for me. And I was definitely his last interview of the day. He did mention that. So it's possible that like, you know, he just wanted to wrap up for the day. And it's also possible that they had already picked their candidate and he was just kind of fulfilling an obligation by, you know, interviewing me. But I <laughs> I got off the the interview I got up the phone call, and I texted my sister and I said that was the fastest interview i've ever had, so I either knocked it out of the park or I completely blew it i mean i I really didn't know i mean he 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 gave me positive feedback i I you know whatever but Like I said, it wasn't in Florida. And as soon as I sort of sat there and I started to think about it, like, okay, yeah, that was a fast interview, but I'm not completely discouraged. There is still a possibility that I have this job. Oh my God, I might be moving to Maryland. And suddenly the logistics of moving all of my stuff by myself from Florida to Maryland hit me and I got a little panic. And I, as I always do, when I get panicked, I just said a little prayer and I said, okay, I did my part. If Maryland is where you want me, you literally have to do everything else because I don't even know where to begin. You're going to have to make a way, God, if that's where you want me. And then, you know, I just kind of let it go. I They said they would let me know by the end of the week, but through the course of the week, I was really going back and forth, just kind of like, am I moving? Do I want to move? If I get the job, it was a good job. And, you know, would I be crazy to turn it down if I got it? Well, it turns out all that was for nothing, because by the end of the week, I got the rejection email. It was very nice. It was very nicely worded. They did say um, that if the candidate they chose for, you know, for whatever reason, wasn't able to fulfill their duties as Miss America, that I, you know, am the next runner up. So um, I guess there's still a slim possibility, but I'm not holding my breath. I, I'm not even sure why I applied for a job in Maryland. I don't want to live in Maryland. Um, I like Florida. <laughs> but I will say this, if God wants me somewhere else, I'll get another opportunity and God will make a way. So for now, I'm staying in Florida. But another kind of amazing thing happened this week. Kind of cool God appointment. I think that's what my cousin calls them. Um, I was supposed to, I was off on Tuesday because I was supposed to have a dentist appointment in the morning and it got canceled. That's not the amazing part, but I wasn't disappointed that the appointment got canceled. But because I was off, I ended up at the grocery store at a time of the day when I would normally be at work. And I was just kind of, you know, walking around, I was taking my time. And I went over to the um, cat food aisle because Oliver needed some food. Side note, I'm also feeding two stray cats. Yes, I know. I've become that woman that feeds the stray cats in the neighborhood. Someone... One, I never thought I would become. And two, I used to make fun of those kind of people. So karma, right? Anyway, I'm buying food for Oliver and the two strays in the neighborhood. And there was a woman in the aisle and she was over by like the canned cat food section. And she said, wow, I guess the supply chain issue is affecting canned cat food. And for the first time, I noticed that that section was almost empty and she and I started talking which if you know me that's not me I do not talk to strangers I will be polite and maybe not but I don't have conversations with strangers my mom can do that my mom makes friends wherever she goes one of my sisters can do that too I can't I prefer not to I am definite stranger danger I will wear a mask forever because I prefer. not have to look directly at anyone or speak to them anyway we started talking and somehow like we started talking about the supply chain and then covid and how you know the effects of everything that happened last year which you know basically when the world stopped how we are now starting to feel the effects of that and how it's um changed our lives, basically. And she was telling me that, you know, she's an independent contractor, and so everything is on her. And she has just felt so overwhelmed. She has so much work, because, you know, people didn't return to work after they were able to, for whatever reason. And companies might not have been in a position to hire new people. And so, what ended up happening was the employees who were still there had to take on extra duties. And she's not alone. Everybody I talked to is saying the same thing. They are all feeling overworked and underappreciated. And I'm sure if you're not feeling this way, you know someone who is. And we ended up talking for like a good 15 minutes. And I, you know, I did my best to like listen and give her like any advice or, you know, encouraging words that I thought could help. And by the end of the conversation, she said she was going home to polish up her resume and to update her LinkedIn profile because she said that sometimes all it takes is getting proactive and that will kind of set the universe in motion. You know, you you send out your intention. Then as she was leaving, she turned around and she said to me, Thank you for reminding me of my worth. God's timing is everything. Amen and amen. TV podcast recommendations. The podcast I'm listening to this week is called Fallen Angel and it is the story of Victoria's Secret. Description from Apple Podcasts says, the series investigates the origin story of one of the world's most iconic brands and its effects on American culture for nearly 40 years all told by the women who witnessed what really happened behind the curtain. I like it. I'm actually surprised I like it as much as I do. It's interesting. There was a part in the first episode where a woman was talking about walking into Victoria's Secret for the first time, and it brought back such memories. I can remember being like, you know, oh, I don't know, 21, 22, and like finally getting into more committed relationships and going to Victoria's Secret to buy cute little broad panty sets. Victoria's Secret, if you shopped at Victoria's Secret, it meant three things. One, you were an adult. Two, you were having sex. And three, and probably the most important to me at the time, you were skinny enough to fit into their underwear. Nowadays, the brand, of course, has expanded their size range. But back in the early 90s, You couldn't be plus-sized and shop at Victoria's Secret. At the time, as far as I can remember, I think there were like only two places where you could buy kind of, you know, sexy lingerie. One was Victoria's Secret and the other was Fredericks of Hollywood. Victoria's Secret said you were having sex, but you were a bit more classy, cute. Fredericks of Hollywood also said you were having sex, but you might be a little on the trashy side. For the record, I shopped at both. I loved both places. Was there any better feeling than walking around the mall in the early 90s carrying one of those signature pink or black shopping bags? There was something very alluring about the brand back then. Like I said, the podcast is good. I'm only a few episodes in. I think I'm on episode four, but I do like it. I'll tell you, I had no idea of all of the gross ties the founder of Victoria's Secret had to Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey, no, Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein, Epstein Weinstein. I don't know, scumbags. We'll just call them the two scumbags. I guess I shouldn't be that surprised because after the podcast tells about like their recruiting processes for their models and especially their angels, they were disgusting. There are seven episodes out so far. I'm not sure how many there will be total. New episodes come out weekly. They're about 35 to 40 minutes each, but I do like it. And then on TV this week, I watched Red Notice on Netflix. You guys know I love these kind of big budget, sort of stylized crime, con, buddy movies. And this one was no different. I did like it. It was good. It was funny. It's entertaining. It's Ryan Reynolds. Dwayne Johnson, and Gal Gadot. I did spend about half the movie trying to figure out if Morena Baccarin has always had an accent before I realized that it was actually Gal Gadot that I was watching. Those two could be twins. Seriously, Google them. I'm not the only one who thinks that. And also I finally watched Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings on Disney Plus I loved this movie. I don't know what has taken me so long to watch it. It's marvel. I knew it existed. I don't know what I was waiting for. It was so good. I can't wait for the sequel and I think that comes out next year. And also next month, right before Christmas, I think like the 20th, December 20th, The Eternals will also be available on Disney Plus. So now I know what I'll be doing on Christmas. Chinese takeout and The Eternals. Which I don't know, maybe that sounds sad to you, but after spending so many holidays being surrounded by people and still feeling incredibly lonely, it's actually quite comforting to spend the day exactly how I want to. All right, guys, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So this week, I was once again sucked down a reels rabbit hole and while I was scrolling through all the videos on Instagram, I came across this one where it was just this guy talking and it was, you know, like one of those ones where someone's sitting in their car or whatever and they give like either life advice or life hacks, you know, and this guy said, People who think that they're the only ones that can do a certain task or job, that no one will do it better than they do, have likely suffered from something in the past where they were let down by those they should have been able to trust the most. Guys, I had to watch this like five times because it was like an anvil that fell on my head. I am not kidding. Like suddenly... It all made sense. All this time, I thought it was about my control issues, and it is, but it's not just my control issues. Are you one of those people, the kind who feels you're the only one who can get something done, or you're the only one that can do it right? You can't trust anyone else to get it done because you've been let down in the past? I definitely am. And if on the rare occasion I do ask for or accept help and you let me down, I'll never ask you to help me again. Because now I know what I suspected all along. I should have never put my trust in you in the first place. Harsh, I know. There are no three strikes and you're out with me. You just get that one chance. If I give you a chance at all. This is not a part of me that I'm particularly proud of, and I'm realizing that it's just something else I need to work on. I'm the kind of person who wants to be solely responsible for taking care of things because I really only trust myself to get it done. I don't ask for help because I don't want to seem like a burden. Believe me, I know how that sounds. It sounds terrible. It sounds very egocentric. Of course, I'm not the only one who can do it right, but I am the only one who I'm sure will actually do it. If I hand it off to anyone, no matter who it is, no matter how small the task, I don't trust that it'll actually be done right or done at all. Have you ever gone behind your spouse and checked to see if they loaded the dishwasher correctly? And by correctly, I mean the way you would do it. Do you check your kids' laundry to see if they actually separated the lights and darks? Are you overly critical of yourself if you don't get something done? If you answered yes to any of these, you too may be suffering from the trauma of being let down by the person or people you should have been able to trust the most. I have trust issues, and it affects every area of my life. Even the people in my life who have been the most consistent, who have never given me a reason to doubt them, there is still a part of me that does. I told you guys, my dad wasn't the most reliable. He was a promise breaker. And when a child learns that a a fundamental relationship lacks trust, that will affect every relationship that comes after. To make up for my father, my mom had to work really hard, not only at her full-time job, but also picking up the slack at home. Because of this, she wasn't always emotionally available. Don't get me wrong, my mom did her best and I love her. She wasn't withholding, there is a difference. She just didn't have enough left at the end of the day to take care of everything. So I had one parent on whom I couldn't rely, and another who was overwhelmed trying to keep all the plates spinning. Please understand, I am not blaming my parents here. They did the best they could with the tools they had. What I'm saying is, there's an origin to my trust issues. My best friend, she has never lied to me. But when she tells me she will be there for me when I need her, I can't get myself to fully believe that. Although I'm sure she means it. Just not actually sure I want to test it. This is why I am so fiercely independent. Do you know how many people have offered me help and I've said no? Not because I don't need the help, but because I'm afraid if I say yes, they won't show up. And just try to get me to talk to you about my feelings for you. I'll do it, but... You'll only get some of it, and it will likely be wrapped in qualifiers and sarcasm or humor. I'd never let myself be fully vulnerable for anyone. I'd rather ask you to help me move than tell you how much you mean to me. Because if I never tell you, I can't get hurt when you inevitably decide I'm more trouble than I'm worth. When you have a parent or any significant relationship with someone that is unreliable it can make it difficult to learn to trust in relationships as an adult. If you weren't taught to believe that people will have your back, why would you ever believe them when they say they will? And as an added bonus, my trust issues with others manifest within me as fear fear of failure. I don't even trust myself. Letting someone down is for me like the worst thing I could do to a person. For example, my nephew's birthday. Same day every year for the last, oh my gosh, is it 18 years? That can't be right. (laughs) In my heart, he'll always be eight. But this year, for whatever reason, time just got away from me and suddenly it was just days before his birthday and I still hadn't mailed his card. There was no way he was going to get it in time and I was so upset. I was so mad at myself. Like, I could not believe that I had waited this long. And all I can think was, he's going to think I forgot his birthday. He'll be hurt, he'll be disappointed, and it'll be all my fault. Birthday ruined. The rational part of my brain says, don't be an idiot. He's fine. And even if if it doesn't arrive on time, he'll be happy for it when it gets there. Too bad the rational side of my brain rarely wins. Spoiler alert, he did get it on time, so crisis averted this time. In addition to the trust issues created when you have an unreliable parent, when you have a parent who is emotionally unavailable, you may experience more extreme shame and hurt than people whose parents were more outwardly loving. Behavioral therapist, Sharice Zeal says that children of parents who didn't receive emotional support often push themselves to do something very well to exceed whatever expectations they have placed on themselves or believe others have placed on them in order to avoid feelings of failure or rejection, which they then associate with guilt and shame. We are much harder on ourselves. Failure is not an option. If we complete the task, but it is not up to our often unrealistically high expectations, then it might as well be a failure. So even though I know that my nephew won't care if his birthday card comes late, it doesn't really help with my feeling like the worst aunt ever. Another way my trust issues manifest, I'm a fan of routines, predictable schedules, and I don't really like to veer from them. Again, I always thought this was because of my control issues or more likely my laziness. there is an ease in predictable routines. Like, I don't like to do things after work unless they have been planned in advance. If I get home and the bra comes off and the hair goes up, I am in for the night. Don't even bother texting to see if I want to go to dinner, because the answer is no. But even this is a trauma response. Of course, I need, crave even, stability to the point where a change in schedule can cause an emotional response disproportionate to the situation. Have you ever burst into tears because your friend called you at the last minute to say not only did they change the restaurant you were supposed to meet at, but also it may or may not have just turned into a couple's night because two of your friends decided to bring their partners? I have. I grew into an adult who blamed my trust issues on my unreliable father and my fear of failure on my emotionally distant mother. And I was right. Sort of. The truth is, a lot of my issues are actually based in circumstances I experienced as an adult, because once you get burned, you're not likely to play with matches again. This idea of blaming your parents for everything that is wrong with you is largely a Freudian concept. Freud believed that parents could mold their children's personality through their actions. He had some weird explanations for his theories related to desires of boys and girls, which have been highly criticized and mostly disregarded. But the idea of parental influence has stuck around and is still a part of our culture even a century later. I found an article written by Mark Manson on mm mm.net. In it, he says, by the time the 21st century rolled around, it was entirely normal and acceptable to discuss your parents' shortcomings as some sort of explanation for your own. There are entire self-help sections and seminars and even group therapy sessions dedicated to this idea. Article goes on to say that there's a fine line between self-improvement and self-indulgent. And when we continue as adults to blame our parents for everything wrong in our lives and not take responsibility for our own actions and choices, we're veering into the self-indulgent. So now that I think I've figured out why I have trust issues, it's up to me to fix it. I'm not going to improve anything if all I do is blame my parents for everything that's wrong with me. Because just like Maya Angelou taught us, It is our responsibility to do better once we know better. Thank you, Miss Angelou. Also, there is real power in taking ownership of your flaws because now you can work on them. If you keep handing off all your issues or blaming others for your problems, you give the power away, the power that you have to change yourself. That's the real paradox, isn't it? Blaming others for your circumstances may feel like the easy way out, but it keeps you stuck. In order to change your circumstances, you need to take responsibility for what got you there in the first place. If you want to know the true amount of influence parents have on their children, check out a study that was done on twins separated at birth. The study was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in 1988. In the study, they studied two groups of twins, one group who had been separated at birth and the second group where the twins were raised together. In the group where the twins were separated at birth, they were raised in different environments, in different socioeconomic levels, and they each had different life experiences. In In that group, It was found that 45% of their personalities, behaviors, and emotional responses were based on genetics, and 55% was based on environment, life circumstances, and life history. Now, those are interesting findings. But even more interesting is that the twins who were raised together had the same results, meaning our parents don't have as much influence on who we become as adults as we thought they did. Based on that study, the data suggests that our parents' parenting methods have no noticeable effect on our permanent personality traits. Now, I'm not talking about abusive parents here. That's a completely different circumstance because those parents cause trauma, and trauma can and will affect your personality traits. The article goes on to say that, yes, there are aspects of our personality that we can attribute to our parents, but not in the way that we may think. Using me as an example, I have a hard time expressing my feelings for someone. The more love I have for you, the less likely I'm gonna say it, especially face to face. I am getting better saying it in text, baby steps. I could say, well, this is all my mom's fault because she wasn't as emotionally available to me as I would have liked. But the article says, no it's probably because your mom is also shy about expressing her emotions. Are you socially awkward? Well, maybe then you get that from your dad because he was socially awkward too. When studied, it turns out that most personality similarities between parents and children can be explained by genetics, not necessarily by conditioning or parenting. It's funny how we attribute all our negative parts of our personality to our parents. You know, dad had a short fuse, so of course I have anger issues. Or mom's standards and expectations were too high. Of course, I constantly feel like I'm failing. But what about the good aspects of your personality? Where did those come from? The fact that you're really good at problem solving or that you are a loving and loyal friend and partner. Where did you get that from? If you're going to blame your parents for the bad parts of you, then you have to also give them credit for the good. Or you can take responsibility for your actions and reactions as an adult and do something about the parts of you that need healing. Research has shown that it's actually our peer group and social life as a child and not our parents, that has far more influence on our self-perception, our self-worth, and who we eventually become as adults. That comes from a study done in 1995, and it was published in Psychological Review. Even the best, most well-intentioned parents aren't perfect. They're human. They're going to make mistakes sometimes. If you're a parent, you're going to do something sometime that is going to affect your child. It's inevitable. But if you continue to blame your parents for everything that's gone wrong with your life, you can never claim to be a fully formed adult because the best part of being an adult is the ability to make different choices. True adulthood occurs when we realize that our parents didn't dig the hole that we find ourselves in today, but rather that they've been trying to climb themselves out of a hole their entire lives. Think about that for a second. Puts a new perspective on things, doesn't it? So if it's not our parents' fault, whose fault is it? The harsh truth is it's our fault. Going back to when we were children, we viewed our parents as perfect, infallible, and everything we saw, we saw as normal. When we became adults and moved further away from the innocence of childhood, we started to see them for who they really were, flawed humans, and that threw us for a loop. For the first time, we realized our parents weren't perfect, that they had their own issues they were dealing with. The scariest part of that is that it usually uh, happens right around the same time that we are realizing that we ourselves are not perfect, that we have our own faults and issues. And that all happens around the age of 30. Then we might start to notice that the issues and and faults we're seeing in ourselves. Hey, wait a minute. My parent has that issue too, which may be why we start, you know, this, it must be their fault thinking. I was 29 when I went to counseling for the first time. And I remember at the start of my first session, the therapist asked me how old I was. And then they said, welcome to therapy. You're right on time. We all have something we need to work on. I know I am definitely not done. But for me, at least, it's time to grow up. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 67. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, My So-Called Midlife Podcast, and like the Facebook page, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JennyJoy316. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. That second part is the important part. If you have questions or topic suggestions, you can email me at my so-called at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.